Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Boys, be ambitious. Be ambitious not for money or self aggrandizement, not for that evanescent thing which men call fame. Be ambitious for the attainment of all that a man ought to be. That was a parting advice given in 1867 by William S. Clark to the students of what would become Hokkaido University. And while Clark is not widely known in his home country of the United States, both he and the phrase boys be ambitious are legendary here in Japan. And yet, so few Japanese boys, or girls for that matter, really are ambitious, at least in the way that Clark intended it. Of course, many of Japan's most ambitious boys and girls are the very ones out there starting startups. And today, I'd like to introduce you to the most ambitious Japanese startup in existence. They are a literal moonshot company, and they've just raised over $90 million to pursue that dream. Takeshi Hakamata, founder and CEO of iSpace, plans on landing commercial payloads on the moon in the next two years. Now, iSpace is not making rockets like SpaceX or Blue Origin. They're creating lunar landers and lunar rovers, and they are making plans for a commercially viable lunar economy. I'll let Takeshi tell you all about it. Oh, but before I do, you should know about the Google Lunar X Prize. This was a global $25 million competition, sponsored by Google and open to any companies that could land a rover on the moon and send data back to Earth. Now, no one ended up winning the main prize, but Takeshi's Hakuto project was one of the five companies from around the world that won an intermediate milestone prize. But you know, Takeshi tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. So we're sitting here with Takeshi Hakamada of iSpace, who is going to commercialize the moon with exploration, mining, and eventually tourism. So thanks for sitting down with me. Yes, thank you for having an uh, interview with me today. I, I really appreciate this, and I love big dreams. And I, I think that no company in Japan <laughs> has bigger dreams than iSpace. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I mean, you've recently raised $90 million for a, a literal moonshot. Can you explain what you're planning on doing? We are trying to provide a commercial uh, transportation service to the moon in the next few years. Starting from that uh, service, we want to get into the uh, mining business in space and then uh, the human beings living in space. Uh, our company vision is expand our planet, expand our future. We want to create a world where human beings can live in space. So when you talk about mining on the moon, what is there to mine? There is uh, uh, many of the opportunity 
for the mining business on, on the moon and also in space. Uh, however, the first target is water. H2O is going to be split into hydrogen and oxygen and then uh, it's become a propellant uh, for spacecraft or uh, rocket satellite. And then if we can create a gas station in space, uh, we can uh, transform the space uh, transportation system. Let's dive deep into the, the lunar economics in a bit, but just so our, our listeners understand how ambitious your goals are. In the next two years, you plan on two missions, one to send a lunar orbiter yes. and a second mission to actually soft land and deploy a lunar rover on the moon. Yes. 2020 is two years away. Do you feel confident you'll be able to do that? Yes. First of all, uh, we have already experienced, uh, we have uh, already developed a lunar rover already, and then we've already started the uh, lunar lander development uh, one year ago. We have uh, already the, uh, the, the background uh, to accomplish the, our uh, development. However, this, even the, we have a one year already experience for, for the uh, lunar lander development, three years is still a short term, especially in uh, space industry. Yeah, uh, yeah. Usually the space program will take about five years or ten years. So the three years is very, very aggressive yes. and short time. However, there is a technology already. There is many of the components available. So the only thing we have to do is design the system properly and then assemble the component. Okay. And after the second mission, which is scheduled to be a lunar lander, then you guys get really aggressive. And, and you're planning seven or eight missions over the next year to, to basically construct a, an infrastructure, right? Yeah, our ultimate goal is to, to construct uh, the mining plant on the moon. But the first uh, few years, our focus is to transport uh, small stuff. Our transportation capability is just a 30 kilograms payload. So compared to the government of missions, they transport more than 100 kilograms or more than that at the one time. Our service is just to bring 30 kilograms. We are going to deliver a small size payload in many times. And you think over, over that time, missions three to nine, those payloads will mostly be autonomous robots to, to build this infrastructure? We think that uh, first few years, most of the payload will be scientific payload, uh, like uh, sensors, or the uh, exploration rovers, things like that. And then also we can provide opportunity for the uh, space agencies to demonstrate technology to building something on the moon. Well, listen, before we, we talk about that in detail, let, let's step back a bit and talk about you. This has been kind of a dream of yours for a long time, because even before iSpace and the Lunar X Prize, you started a company called um, White Label Space. Back in 2010, was it? Yes. Can you tell us a bit about White Label Space? What was that about? White Label Space is the team entered for Guna X Prize. White Label Space itself was founded in Europe in 2000, 
eight or nine people uh, worked for uh, European space agencies and then they got together uh, to create a team for Luna X Prize. They start planning to develop Lunar Lander by themselves. However, there's no person who can develop Lunar Rover uh, for the mission. And then one of the person knows about Professor Yoshida, he kind of decided interested in the contribution to that team. And then I also had a contact from the team to support Japanese uh, activity and also raise some of the funds from oh, Japan. So your involvement was sort of the, the Japanese branch of that organization. Yes. When you started the Hakuto project, that broke off from white label space or why did you rebrand it? So we started offshore other activity in Japan as a white label space in 2010. However, almost end of the 2012, white label space unfortunately decided to stop their activity in Europe. The major reason is financial situation. They couldn't raise enough money to continue. Both these organizations were striving to compete in the, the Google Lunar X Prize. How much money is required to create a lunar lander like this? At the time of the wireless space, basic plan is to raise about $50 million and then uh, develop lander and then purchase launch service. The entire mission cost, we achieved about $50 million. The, the Hakuto project has had this huge outpouring of support in Japan both from individuals who are like crowdfunding and, and corporate sponsors as well. That must have felt really rewarding after working on it for so long. From the beginning, plan to raise a fund is to utilize the uh, sponsorship or uh, to collect more money from very large of the uh, people. However, it's very, very difficult at the beginning. Anyway, we kept doing and then we started to show our progress and then many other people start interested in our challenge. But the most important concept is challenge. When the uh, other people start understanding the core of the challenge, uh, we started to get more support. So did most of the support come after you, you won the intermediate challenge? Yes. That's the, always the way it is though, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, so the Guna X Prize announced the uh, milestone prizes in 2014. And then we are awarded as a one of the milestone prize winner. Uh, we prove uh, our technology through that milestone prizes. So that kind of the event is very, very important. Uh, the people recognize which team has a reliable technologies. Well, no, I can understand. It really, it validates the project in the eyes of all of the people and companies who, who maybe don't understand it well enough to judge yes. for themselves. Yeah, it's very, very hard for the uh, usual persons to judge technology. So the Google Luna X Prize, that kind of third-party uh, evaluation is a good announcement. So Google, last year they extended the XPRIZE uh, for another year and this year they, they finally ended it. Was that disappointing? Do you think they should have extended it and kept the spotlight on this project and kept the momentum going? 
Yeah, our expectation was always we want to complete mission with Inguna XPRIZE competition. We requested the XPRIZE to extend again. However, this time XPRIZE confirmed to end. Well, it sounds like it's, it's done its purpose. It, it's giving you a lot of publicity and validation and you, you have a huge number of sponsors and investment now. So I guess it's not as important as it used to be. Yes. Even though Guna XPY itself will be end end of March, however, Guna XPY already provide many of the advantage to the teams. You've got a staff of about 45 or 50 and a small team that's working in Luxembourg. Yes. Are those the same people that you worked with at White Label Space? No. <laughs> so how did you end up with a team in Luxembourg? After we took over the uh, team uh, from White Label Space, we started to create our own business. Our business target became a mining business in space. We knew that Luxembourg government is interested in space mining business. So the, we started to contact to them. Finally, uh, we had agreement uh, with government and then we set up the office in Luxembourg and then started to hire people over there too. Makes sense. Okay, let's, let's talk about the economics of mining and lunar economics in general. So far, only the US, the Soviet Union, and very recently China have been able to soft land anything on the moon. And these have all been extremely expensive, large public efforts. So do you think this is something that private companies can do? And why? Mm -hmm. So far, the government uh, invested a lot of money for Luna Radic. However, it's, except China case, it's over 50 years ago. During this period, uh, most of the electronics has been advanced. We have uh, many of the technology uh, which is not available 50 years ago. Especially the landing is, should be automatic. Important. Well, it certainly makes sense that, that costs have come down across the board for this. Uh, before we were talking about uh, a 30 kilogram payload. So how much do you think it, it will cost to land a 30 kilogram payload on the moon? The, it, it's going to be several million dollars per kilogram. This is cheaper than a government mission. I guess government mission will cost five times more or ten times more. I can see how a private sector would be able to do it less expensively. And we're, we're seeing that in the, the U.S. as well with SpaceX and, and Blue Origin. But how will the economics work? So, I mean, you talk about mining, for example, but what is on the moon that is not already on the Earth and that we can get up much cheaper down here? At this moment, uh, still the transportation cost is expensive. So it's still unrealistic to bring something back from the moon to the Earth. On the other hand, because of the expensive transportation cost, we cannot allow everything bring from the Earth to the moon. So the identify the resources available on the moon is important to reduce the cost. 
of the space development. So the, the goal of the mining is really to, to mine for the materials to build the infrastructure on the moon itself. Yeah, one, one part is the material to build the in infrastructure on the moon. The other one is the propellant gas station. On the Earth, the oil is important resources. In space era, the water, H2 and O2, uh, will be the important source of the energy. That makes sense how it could work. And I love your vision of having steel production and communications and transportation and breaking down the water into oxygen and hydrogen. So I guess you would just use like solar panels to to generate the energy to do that. You can you can see how it's possible. You can see how we, we can do it. But why would we do it? Do, do the economics actually work out? Well, that, that is a point. I, I'm not so much interested in technology itself. My interest is how to create economy in space. I don't think people is traveling to the space and living in space uh, without incentive. Uh, people don't want to go to the space uh, losing money. <laughs> right, right. And governments can afford to lose money on this, but as a private company, you can't. Right. My major focus is how to create economy in space how to circulate money in space, including the economy on the Earth. Okay. And, and you think the, the core of that economy is going to be the water that you can break down into the oxygen and hydrogen? Yes, from the other perspective, the life on the Earth has been supported by the satellite technology. Without satellite technology, our life is not sophisticated. So the, uh, the next question is how to sustain such a, a space infrastructure around the Earth. So, so you think it might be cheaper to maintain satellite infrastructure from the Moon than it would be from the Earth itself? Yes. The transportation cost to the, from the Earth to the space is very, very expensive. One calculation says that the transportation cost from the Earth is uh, 100 times more than from the Moon. Oh wow, interesting. You know, in an interview you gave uh, last year, you, you mentioned that the money you've raised will be enough to cover the first two missions. Yes. And that after that, you're hoping to be self-funding, that, the, that these economies will kick in and the lunar landings will be commercially viable. Do you, are you still on track for that goal? Of course. <laughs> yeah? Because if it costs $30 million to land 30 kilos on the moon, that, that's, it takes a lot of value. Who do you think is going to pay for, let's say, mission three, when you're paying a million dollars per kilo to put something on the moon? Will that still be like governments and private sector, or do you think that's going to be more commercial? I don't think commercial companies start buying our service from the beginning. I think the first customer would be government, uh, because the, many of the space agencies start planning the lunar missions in future. We expect a large amount of the demand to transport something from the Earth to the Moon. And then government cannot keep investing just uh, 
regular transportation system. Government should invest more on the application on the moon, mm. not to the transportation. The, the role of the commercial company is to take the transportation system uh, more cost-effective. So when, I mean, we're, we're all kind of guessing and speculating here, but in, in your vision, when do you think that transition will happen? So not only the transportation, but the, the payloads themselves mm-hmm. are from commercial companies and not governments. When do you think that tipping point will happen? <coughs> Well, uh, I think tipping point uh, would be when we identify available resources on the moon. Okay. Actually, also last year, one of the commercialization ideas that you mentioned was creating a, a lunar billboard using robots to project advertising. Is that something you're still considering? Let me explain the, the concept of our advertisement business. Uh, it's not the concept of the billboard we are built on the moon. We, we cannot see the billboard itself from the earth. <laughs> so I don't think such kind of the concept can generate many of the demand. So our concept is use our space mission to promote client companies branding so, so the, the advertising model would be similar to what you've done with Hakuto, where it's, it's sponsorship of the project and having the logo on the, the vehicles. Yeah, in general, same as the Hakuto model. So we don't have any plan to put logo on the moon. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of glad to hear that. <laughs> and then it's not only the time we land on the moon, but also during the uh, technology development or the, any of the activity on, on the Earth. That makes sense. Getting back to your schedule and your, your overall goals for the program. Like I said, I love that it's so ambitious. This, I think, is something that a lot of people have like dreamed about. But the schedule seems really ambitious. So the technology, so I guess like Falcon Heavy, is a big enough launch vehicle. Mm-hmm. But you're also relying not only on the, the rover technologies that you've developed, but also like landers, um, a lot of artificial intelligence. You know, there, there's really hard problems. So are these all things you're developing internally or are you working with public and commercial groups around the world to build different parts of this? So basically, uh, in order to uh, speed up our development process, uh, we don't develop components itself. We are going to purchase almost all the components from the other suppliers or the other companies. Our responsibility is to design the system and then also assemble and then test. But for example, like the lander, uh, before you were working with... uh the Indus project, but now you've decided to build your own lander as well, right? Yes. And you're confident this is going to happen in the next two years? Yes. So far we have some chances we can make a decision to develop our lander. However, we strategically don't choose such an option because, for example, when we started offshore, we decided to develop our own lander. It's gonna take $50 million. It's hard to raise such a fund at the moment, so we will fail. Right now, it's the right timing for us. 
slowly we decided to develop our own lander. And then one major decision we made, the reason is in order to do our business in future, we need to have a, have a right to control the transportation. Otherwise, we cannot provide better service to customers. Okay. In the short term, what do you see as your biggest challenge in completing your second mission, the, the actual soft landing on the moon? What, what is keeping you up at night and, and that you're most worried about of all of the things you have to get right to make it happen? Before fundraising, the <laughs> most uh, critical thing is the fundraising, but we have done already. So we have already eliminated the most difficult part. And then the next thing is the, I think the schedule. Technology is available. Okay. So the, what we have to do is to keep the schedule. Okay, that's interesting. So it's not big technology challenges. It's mostly just execution and yes. keeping the schedule. Let me ask you the same question long-term. When we're looking at mission 10 and beyond where it's ready that human beings can live on the moon. What do you think is the biggest challenge for making that happen? Economical incentive. I don't think uh, the hardware is technology. If people want to do something, they're going to develop technology. However, if they don't want to do that, nothing happens. So the biggest long-term challenge is, is creating that economy. Yes. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. And that is, if, if I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the <coughs> education system, the legal system, the way people think about risk, anything at all to make it better for startups in Japan, what would you change? Rangit. <laughs> the language? Why is that? Well, because of the, uh, the language uh, difficulty, uh, we are losing many of the opportunity. So e even for me, uh, because my English is still not perfect, it's hard to uh, communicate with the, uh, many of the people. If I'm more capable speaking English, I can open many of the other doors. So you would use your magic wand to, to change Japan to an English language nation? Yeah, and then it's the same for the other persons too. Right. Uh, because of the Japanese language barrier, uh, many of the English speakers cannot come to Japan and then work with Japanese. That's interesting because there's two sides to that. So many startup founders today and many very big companies in the 60s use the Japanese language as kind of a way of protecting their business and, and growing their business at first. So you'd have to give that up. Yeah, that is one advantage. But the, from our point of view, space business is global. Yeah. If we uh, close into the, only the Japan, the Japanese uh, market is just a 1% of the uh, space market. We cannot survive. You know, I think that's true probably for all industries. Yes. Even if it gives the companies a little bit of a head start initially, 
In the long run, you have to compete with global companies. And the sooner you start doing that, the better. Yes, I, I believe so. Okay, listen, Takeshi, thanks so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And we're back. Hey, I told you these boys were ambitious, didn't I? I think it's great that Takeshi and iSpace raised $90 million to pursue their vision. But I have to admit that I was a little disappointed to learn that this outpouring of financial and promotional support came only after their achievement was validated by Google. Japanese investors and Japanese society in general tends to overlook so much true innovation that exists in Japan, and they tend to overvalue what is being done overseas. I think this attitude is one of the things that's really holding back innovation in Japan at all levels, not just in startups, but in large companies and in the arts as well. So, is iSpace's plan to land a rover on the moon in the next two years practical? No, of course it's not. Ambitions of that scale are never practical. Is it possible? Well, I don't know. For now, all I can do is put it in the I want to believe category and to wish them all the best of luck. However, when we look at iSpace as a startup, following the same rules for economics for startups that we all have to live by, iSpace has one glaring challenge, and it's one that I see founders make all the time, both students who are part of programs like Startup Weekend and my corporate consulting clients who have prestigious degrees and decades of experience. The problem is, they don't really know their customer or understand what problem they're solving. They've not yet been able to define the value that they are creating. Even if iSpace managed to solve these formidable engineering challenges, there's not a large group of potential customers, private or government, willing to pay a few million dollars per kilogram to place a payload on the moon. To be fair, Takeshi and iSpace are aware of this problem. And as Takeshi said, his biggest long-term concern is figuring out how this lunar economy will actually work. Well, they only have a few years to figure it out. Their current funds are enough to pay for the first two missions, which should put a rover on the moon. And for now, that's the effort everyone is watching. If you want to talk about the moon or space travel, and really, who doesn't? Takeshi and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com show 113 and tell us what you think. When you come to the site, you'll see all the resources and notes that Takeshi and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. And hey... I've got some great news for Japanese startups who are looking for staff or foreigners in Japan who want to work with startups. Disrupting Japan is teaming up with 500 startups to help connect startups and people who are interested in working for them. On March 6th, we'll be holding an event where the two groups can connect and where you can hear an in-depth discussion with startup CEOs 
who have successfully grown their companies using mixed teams. And, oh yes, there will be beer. Details are at the Disrupting Japan and the 500 Startup site. I hope to see you there. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.